there, everyone. Welcome back to the Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tom McCarthy. So happy to be with you in a busy, busy week here at the Comedy Castle. Eric Newman is our guest on this week's show. Eric will be headlining the castle on Wednesday the 19th. Terrific comic out of New York City who's starting to get a lot of heat and buzz in the industry. Had a real good conversation with Eric, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Before we get into that, as always, we've got some housekeeping items. Need to let you know about what's going on this week here at the castle. We're a little bit out of sequence. If all goes to plan, the show will be posting on Friday, the 14th of October. Uh, So I'm going to kind of give you a run through of everything we've got going here uh, for the next week or so. I mean, gosh, we have got shows running seven of the next eight days, it looks like. Oh, my goodness. So let's get into it. Uh, If you are listening to this on the weekend of October 14th, remember that Dustin Nickerson is in town at the club. Friday the 14th at 7.15, the late show's at 9.45, and then uh, Saturday the 15th, early show's at 7, late show's at 9.30. Sunday, the legendary Tommy Davidson, Detroit's own Tommy Davidson, one show only at 7.30 p.m. I bet that one's going to sell out. Make sure you grab your tickets. I should mention, too. For tickets, call the castle at 248-542-9900. Go directly to the website. It's even easier. Comedycastle.com. A few clicks. You can get your tickets right there. Tuesday the 18th, hypnotist Kevin Lapine had a great, great conversation with Kevin a few weeks ago. If you're following the program, his show is Hypnosis Unleashed, straight from Las Vegas. So looking forward to this myself. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be at the show with my daughter as my date, and can't wait. Hope to see you guys there. And then Wednesday the 19th, our guest on this week's show, Eric Newman, 7.30 p.m. Eric is stringing together uh, a number of one-nighters across Michigan and Ontario, and we're glad that he's stopping by the castle. Uh, He may be new to some of you. Make sure you stay tuned for the interview. I think you're going to want to see him more, I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm not saying that our conversation is going to make you call the castle right away, but it should, because uh, he's a fantastic comic. And then, many of you already know, it is the Dave Attell weekend. We look forward to this each and every year at the castle. Dave comes in most most years, and he certainly is here for five shows, the 20th through the 22nd. Thursday the 20th at 7.30 p.m., Friday the 21st, 7.15 and 9.45 On Saturday the 22nd, the early show's at 7, the late show is at 9.30. These shows are selling fast. Uh, Last year, he sold out all five. Uh, We skipped a year because of the pandemic. In 2019, he sold out all five and then added another uh, that sold out. So I know Dave's got a ton of fans, myself included, here in the Detroit area. Do not dilly-dally. Okay, Mm, sip of water. I need to hydrate after all that salesmanship there. Thank you. Our excellent producer, Joel, may edit out the sound of me slurping my water. Hopefully he doesn't. I I think it keeps the show real organic. All right. Eric Newman, uh, as many of you who listen to the show and have followed it over the years, I am uh, a Tonight Show comedy geek. Um, The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson is where I first got into comedy. Even though my tastes have changed over the years in terms of the host, I'm very loyal I'm very loyal to Johnny, and, and Conan should have got the job permanently. God damn it. Uh, I still watch it, and I'm grateful uh, that Jimmy Fallon still focuses or still highlights 
uh, new and upcoming talent on his show. I think that's a real great thing he does. So I saw Eric Newman's set. I believe it aired uh, February or March, I'm guessing. And that was the first time uh, I had seen his material. Uh, when Mark let me know that he'd be running through the castle and we'd be talking to him, I was real excited. So I did a deep dive on his material. He's got a really cool uh, album that you're going to hear us talk about uh, that he just put out in the springtime. It's all crowd work, which I tip my cap to him. Someday, maybe someday, somehow, I'll have the bravery to do an all crowd work album. His is called But Enough About Me. Uh, really enjoyable. Uh, he goes right at it, and, and it's really cool. Uh, you can find it on all platforms. I streamed it off of um, Apple Music. He's got his uh, release prior to that. It was just a phase. And you'll hear us talking about his uh, 2018 release, Nervous Lover, uh, which I actually listened to this morning. It's fresh in my mind. It's fantastic. A lot of good material on there. He's a terrific guy. Really enjoyed talking to him. Can't wait for him to make his Detroit debut here at the world-famous Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Enjoy my conversation with Eric Newman. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, on the other end of my line is Eric Newman in town for one night only this Wednesday, the 19th. Thanks for doing this, Eric. My pleasure. Tom, thanks for having me. Yeah. Now, this now this interview came together relatively quickly. Uh, I knew you a little bit from your Tonight Show appearance, which was excellent. Congrats again on that. Thank you. I appreciate it. But in, in trying to pull together some notes for our conversation, I can't find if you've played the castle or Detroit before. So I guess we should start with that. Is is this your first time at the castle or have you been here before? No, it would be my first time. I've actually, it's been a club I've been wanting to play for years. Probably I, if I look back in emails for when I uh, sent my first submission uh, to try to get booked there, I, I, it'll probably come probably something like in 2015, 2016, something like that. Um, so it's been it's been a long time coming for on my end. So, uh, oh, so I'm awesome. really excited to make my appearance there next Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna love it. I mean, of course, of course, I'm biased. It's been my home club for years, and I've been hosting the show for him for four years. But it's just Amazing. it's professional. It's professionally run. The sound is great. The staff is perfect. They've been doing it for so long. Um, it really is one of those clubs in America, especially here in the Midwest. I, I'll put it up there with the, with the best of any of them. So we're looking forward to having you. Now, I wanted to kind of piggyback on that and, and go back to the Tonight Show appearance because I'm a, I'm a total Tonight Show geek, mainly for the comedy sets. When I was a little kid, uh, I'm a bit older than you, in the early 80s, that's the first time I even realized what comedy was, was from seeing the stand-up bits on the Carson show. And I followed it all along. Was it for someone of your age, is it still a really big iconic thing? Were you aware of the history and the prestige of a, of a tonight show set? Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, uh, old soul and, uh, and I certainly do my research. Um, you know, uh, you know, as far as comedy goes, um, I, I really, take a look back at, at who was influential, you know, at decades before I was even starting to do it. And, um, and obviously, you know, everybody knows the impact or hopefully everybody knows the impact that Johnny Carson had. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so it was, you know, I, I'd always wanted a late night set. I specifically wanted the tonight show. And thankfully that was my, uh, that was my debut. So, uh, so yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, just the name recognition alone, you know, I mean, I know there's obviously been like, you know, ratings battles and everything. And, right. and I think the tonight show was even second or third dipped to second or third this year. But, uh, but as far as just the prestige and, you know, the meaning of being on the tonight show and what, you know, sort of like 
the um, the impact it had over over many many decades, I think uh, I think made it my my uh, my first choice, and and so the fact that I was able to do it really meant a lot to me. Yeah, kind of, and and I know you're a New York guy. It kind of reminded me, like like I'm a big baseball fan, and every baseball season there's a couple of journeyman minor leaguers who get their at bat in the major leagues and just seeing the emotion on their face, uh, not necessarily calling you a journeyman comic, but just seeing a New York guy come out on that stage. I was, I was happy for you and I don't even know you. Uh, it means a lot to me. Thank you. Now, when, um, when the interview came together, so again, I knew you from that, so I had to do a quick deep dive on your stuff. So the first thing I go, I go into, uh, my Apple music and the first release I see is um but enough about me so i click play and i'm about 15 minutes in it into it and i'm i'm thinking is is this a crowd work album i'm not sure i don't know if that's what he does is there material in there and then of course i real realize it primarily was a crowd work album which number one kudos on that number oh, two for me, someone who delves into crowd work a little bit, and, and, and sometimes I don't feel that I that I go into it as much as I should, I think it takes huge courage, commitment, and balls for a comic to do it. So tell me about how that came together, just doing a crowd work album. So, so it's actually interesting. Um, I think it's been a long progression over time. I'm, I'm you know, I am a, a joke writer. I'm a writer. I'm obsessed with writing and uh and that's sort of primarily what I just focused on throughout, you know, the, the first the early stages of my career. But what happened was I had, you know, I, I started dipping a little bit into the private gig market and was, you know, sort of getting hired for private gigs. And, so in, you know, I was getting hired certain, you know, in, in, you know, in places that were definitely not meant for comedy. They, they could not even could not even double as comedy venues. They were just like you know, really maybe, maybe the stage was very far from the crowd or the sound was terrible or whatever. And I, I realized that as I kept getting hired for these weird situations, I learned how to riff and I learned how to talk to the crowd more because I felt like it was the only way I was able to survive. To be right. honest. Mm -hmm. um, so over the years I had gotten way more comfortable with the crowd, way more talking, you know, I would sit in it. I think like in the, or in the early stages of my career, um, I would, you know, maybe make a comment to the crowd or they would say something or I would and I would respond back and kind of shut it down there. And as I kept going, I, I guess, gradually just let my interaction and I would pick it up. It results in a weird, awkward moment of silence, then so be it. But I certainly kind of like explored it more and, you know, during the pandemic, I posted a lot of clips on TikTok, on Instagram, and um, I started to realize, and most of them, because I wasn't, um, because um, I didn't have like an infinite number of, you know, jokes at my disposal to, uh, to just like, you know, distribute for free on Instagram or TikTok. I decided I would take a lot of my like crowd work moments, throw them up there. And, you know, it resulted in gradually over time resulted in me having a much, uh, a fan base, which I, <laughs> I even never had. I mean, I, I, I was a sort of grinded out, you know, um, sluggish comedian here in New York for, for years, for 10 years. I just sort of like went spot to spot and sort of, um, worked my way through the club system here. 
eventually to the comedy cellar, which I was at for about a year before the pandemic started and continue. It's my home club. I continue to perform there most nights of the week that I'm in New York. But, uh, but yeah, I mean my crowd work. So, so once I started seeing that people loved it, when I went on the road and headlined, I would make sure I did like a combo of jokes and crowd work. It mm-hmm. usually somewhere along the line, like, I would say on my average headlining show, I probably do like 50, 50, maybe 50 jokes, 50 crowd work. And I wanted to give myself the challenge of just trying crowd work, like nothing to fall back on. Like if I suck, I suck. And uh, thankfully it turned out to be a really fun show and, uh, and they were a great audience. So, so yeah, where, where know, was it recorded? Recorded in New York comedy club, um, the East village location uh, in Manhattan. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, the energy I was fantastic on it. Yeah, oh, well, thanks. Yeah, no, the, the crowd was so fun. They were just really good. And and the thing that makes it is, like, you, you know, you know, like, sometimes, sometimes, you, you know, it's not always the comedian. The comedian isn't always the reason why a crowd work situation fails. Sometimes the crowd just sucks. Like, they don't just right. they give you nothing, yeah. you know? It's just, like, dead. And so it's kind of the way I used to feel about dating, where it's just, like, like if you go on a, like a bad date, it's like no matter how good my personality is, I'm not going to carry both of us. You know, you got to do your part. I can't like I can't like like will the chemistry into existence. You know, so um, so so thankfully I have like a lot of good fun people around me to play with and uh, and on that night. But uh, but yeah, I mean, um, it was. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. It was, it was definitely a, a challenge, and I loved it. And uh, and it, and it was received pretty well. Um, I could always use more YouTube views on it, but. It definitely was received well, so I was happy with that. Well, I, I would think you know I've, I've I've recorded half a dozen times in the in the last couple of years. Finally, put something out, but the last time I recorded, which which was at the castle, you know, I had the audio and video guys there for just the early show Saturday and the late show. And I'm thinking, on my drive into the club, I'm like, oh my god, I hope the crowd, I, I hope the stuff hits, I hope it's a good night because. All I was getting was those guys for that night. I've got to believe that that stress is exponential when you're doing crowd work, you know, uh, yeah. because there is, you know, there's no redo. It's like, here we go. <laughs> yeah. And I got to tell you how many times, Tom, I like, I like walk out and I'll be like, ah, that was the line I should have said. You know, it's like, it happens all the time. And I just kind of try to learn from every situation and get better. But, um, yeah, I mean, you never know, right? Have you um, ever uh, have you ever seen or worked with Ian Bag by chance? Oh, I love Ian. He's oh really my, good at Oh my gosh, it's yeah. insane. <laughs> He's a force yeah, of nature. He's great. He's great. Yeah, super super nice guy too. The Canadian in him. Um, <laughs> so I've got you know I found a lot of your uh, a lot of your material. Um, uh, especially a nervous lover. So I, I want to make sure that I get it out there for our li- listeners too. So you, in, in addition to the crowd work special, you've got, uh, you've got two records out. One is nervous lover that came out in 18. And then uh, with my apologies, just a phase. I didn't get a chance to listen to that, but I believe that's your most recent, correct? Just a phase was my most recent material um, album uh, and special that I put out. I recorded it during the pandemic on, on the rooftop. Okay. Um, well, I've got a rooftop comedy. I'm going to have to, uh, uh, I'm going to make sure that I squeeze that in too. I wish I could have got it done before the interview. Um, oh, no, 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 no. The, um, 
The thing I wanted to mention on Nervous Lover that I found so relatable is even though I grew up in a suburb of Detroit, I grew up in a, in a, in a very, at least for the a, a large city in the Midwest, I grew up in a pretty diverse suburb. It was about a third Jewish, a third good old fashioned waspy folks, and then a third Chaldean, which are which are Catholic Arabs. And so that counts as diversity in, in, in the Midwest, at least in the <laughs> in the 1990s, it did. And a couple of my best friends Jewish. So I know the Jewish mother very well. And just uh, hearing your material on the on your mom and it, it it was just so good and it was comforting. I'm curious when you when you push out of the bigger cities where where there's not as many people with experience or interactions with Jewish people or no uh, identify with the, the the neurosis of a Jewish mom. Do you, does that material still hit or do you feel you have to sell it more? Uh, you know, it, it, I do feel like, you know, I've evolved a little bit, whereas a lot of my material was based around my mom for <laughs> years. Like, that first album is maybe half my mom, you know? And, um, and I, I feel like as I've evolved as a comic, I don't know if this is the exact answer to your question, but... I feel like as I've evolved as a comic, I started to understand that like there's a lot more aspects of my life, and my mom is only one of them. And mm-hmm. it's, it's you know, and I've as I've grown as a person, not just as a comic, but as a person as well. It's like it's just um, so I think people love it, but it is interesting how you know. So now I'm doing you know darker stuff now. I mean, my uh, I really tackle like. I, you know, I got, I got caught cheating in my last relationship and, uh, the whole drama that went down with that. I really like, I, um, I wrote a whole hour about my breakup pretty much, which I filmed at the comedy cellar, which we, there was a, a big issue with the sound. And so we weren't able to actually put it out. So I just used, chopped it up into clips and put it on Instagram and TikTok. But, um, but I certainly, uh, I certainly have sort of like evolved, grown out of it a little bit, but, I still do a lot of some mom stuff, you know, on every headlining show, I'll do a couple of jokes about my mom. And it is funny how certain people still like those best. Um, cause they are like my cutest, probably most relatable bits. Cause I think like, even if you don't grow up with a Jewish mom, I think everybody knows someone like who has, like you were talking about your, you know, mm-hmm. you know, how, how you grew up, like everybody knows somebody who's dealt with a mother like that. And even if it's not a Jewish mother, it's someone, you know, Italian mothers, a lot of Italian moms like that, Greek moms. Yep. And, um, and, and yeah, so, so, uh, so I think, I think it is still very relatable. Um, and, 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 it, you know, just, just now that you, you know, asked me that question, now that I'm thinking about it, like even like the Jewish stuff, like I, I think I was very, um, focused on sort of like growing up as a Jewish you know, boy in New York and I've grown a little out of that too. I mean, I still, I'm, I'm very prideful Jew and, and certainly like, um, have a lot to say about it, but I I think there's more to me than just being. Well, yeah. And it's just, it's, it's a natural evolution as a person, not just as a comic. I think it's natural. A lot of, a lot of comics, myself included, I, I think my first couple of years on stage, I was just unloading a lot of stuff that I needed to say in public. And a lot of that revolves around family and parents and your experience. Totally. And then, and then as you, you evolve as, as, as a person and, and your act evolves, you find 
more things to to talk about that interest you and inevitably more stuff that you need to unload but i would some un, unsolicited advice whenever whenever you need a whenever you need a quick laugh and want to punch a set up the, the bit about you and your mom having the same therapist is terrific really well written really well delivered i loved it oh i appreciate that thank you thank you now Tell me about um, your your touring schedule. Um, you've got a run of one-nighters that I'm exhausted just looking at it. So after your date here uh, at the castle on the 19th, you're headed right to the west side of Michigan. You got a date on the 20th at Billy's Lounge. You got a t- date on the 21st at the Park Theater in Holland, which I know that venue a little bit. And then you're headed across the border for a couple of shows in Toronto uh, at, at the Libertine. Um, holy cow, <laughs> that's quite a schedule. Is there is, is there a rhyme or reason or a method to your madness while you're straight, while you're stringing together uh, a lot of one-nighters in this part of the country? Are you tuning up for something else? So, you know, very good question, Tom, and also something that my agent and manager speak about, you know, very often, uh, you know. Um, so, I, you know, it's interesting. Like, I... So, so now I'm at the point of my career where I'm really trying to, like, my agent is very cautious and um, we want to, just very candidly, we want to sell, like, like I don't want to do more shows. I, I don't need the stage time as much anymore. There was definitely a time in my life, probably six, seven years ago, where I, you know, I was doing weekends at clubs, at, you know, sea rooms for no money, like next to no money, just because I needed to become a better headliner. Right. And at, right, as you know, as a comic, you need stage time. Stage time for much of your career is more valuable than money. Absolutely. And, um, and so I would, you know, I took whatever, you know, shitty, shitty clubs would have me for, uh, for a weekend, you know, Mark Ridley's was obviously a club that, uh, that was, you know, that didn't want me and, and, and was too big for me at the time. And, and that's why I have probably 12 emails, uh, in my sense, sent mail, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure the one unanswered, but, uh, but, um, but, but, but so, so, so the, as I started to grow my own fan base and realized that people actually did want to come see me, um, I started to go, okay, I'm getting a lot of requests in, I don't know. Arkansas. I'm getting a lot of requests in New Orleans. I'm getting a lot of, you know, requests in um, Chicago. Let's see how many people want to come out. Let's see how we do. So, um, we've been sort of using this very strategic method to just sort of see who wants to come out, where, when, how many, and uh, and so I think I feel like a string of one-nighters has greatly benefited me because it's really giving me the ability to see how I do in each market and every market is different. Oh, yeah. um, and every day of the week is different and every time of year is different. And so I'm sort of just getting a better understanding of how that goes. And so the reason why we've set up this and in 2023, I've already talked to my agent about this. We're just going to, we're going to do it differently because it, this Michigan run happens to route pretty well. I mean, it is a lot of travel and shows, but it at least is in the same state. Yep. Mostly, and you know, whatever. But but I, I got to tell you, for earlier this year when we were really starting to experiment with this tour, I mean, there were times where I would go from like I, like I would have like a West Coast show on Wednesday, an East Coast show Thursday, a West Coast show Friday. Like I've done definitely zigzag throughout this country this year. 
And uh, and so I'm not going to be doing that much anymore because it's just like really, like you said, just looking at the schedule is tiring. It's a lot. But I do think like I want to only do as many shows as my demand allows or asks for. And uh, and and so I think that right now where we're at, I do think is the best. Like for example, Mark Ridley's like uh, we're selling tickets pretty well so far. We're a week out and and it looks pretty good. So uh, you know. There we go. So we know that on a Wednesday, uh, you know, we could sell pretty well, and uh, and you know, and then and then we have discussions in the future as to how many do we do another? Do we do one more? Do we do two more? Do we do a weekend? Do we, you know? Those those discussions sort of like are you know um, are a little further down the line, but but I do think I do think you know I do think slow and steady wins the race especially in this business oh, and absolutely build at grassroots. That's, that's how a lot of the biggest bands in the world built their following too, just constantly on the road and boom, yeah. <laughs> next thing you know, you're selling out arenas. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I, we, we, we've done it very strategically and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm proud of that. I'd say you've got a UK run coming up in December too, that, uh, it, will that be your first time performing overseas? No, so I did. Um, I did London. I did a very short stint. I did two shows in London. Uh, we sold out the first one. We ended up adding one. That was in April. Then I did a very short stint in uh, Ireland, Dublin. So I was there for about five, six days total. And did four shows. Um, they were great. They were awesome. And now, uh, and I didn't want to wait too long to come back. There was a sort of decision to be made as to whether we wait a year, or wait six months, and I decided to go for six months and. Uh, well, maybe it's a little more. Maybe it's about eight months. But, uh, but yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm excited to go back. Well, in, uh, in our time that we have left, now I've got to move the conversation to basketball because <laughs> I know okay. you're a big Knicks fan. I'm a huge Pistons fan. It's, it's, it's been huh. tough. It's, it's been a tough 10 years. My enthusiasm is, is at an all-time high, at least for this season. How, how are you feeling about the Knicks? Um, bad. <laughs> really bad. Um, I, uh, I don't think there's much hope this season. Um, I, um, it's inexplicable in that market with that fan base, with that money. It's, I, I just, I, why they're not the Lakers or the Celtics with, with similar record. I, I just don't understand. Yeah. But you know what that I think, you know, I think the fan base and the market is the reason why the Knicks are still bad. I mean, they're always selling tickets. No the garden what. is packed regardless, right? No matter what. I mean, if, if we bomb, you know, 80 games in a row, nobody's, I mean, 80, 80 shows in a row, nobody's coming back to see us, you know? Because no matter how the Knicks play, it's a packed arena. And and I think that's the problem. Like, if, if see, everything is revolves around money, right? So, if Knicks fans stopped buying tickets, changes would be made, and um, and Knicks fans continue to. And I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm talking to my friends about buying, you know, in a couple of weeks from now. So it's like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm as bad as the rest of us, but, but I'm just, this is sort of how we operate as Knicks fans and New York fans. Well, it's and, such a, it's such a cool venue too. I. Uh... I was there a couple of years ago with my family and we bought some tickets last minute and saw saw Knicks versus Bulls in the garden. If if you're a sports fan and specifically uh, an NBA fan, it, it is a must seeing a game there. Yep. 
the uh, who now who is the that roster turns over so much now who who are their studs? Um, man, I mean R.J. Barrett. Um, I'm R.J. Barrett certainly. Um, I mean we have to. I think we're going to end up getting rid uh, rid of um, um, what's his name? Um, who's the uh, a Randall? Um, what's his name? I don't know. Randall. You... Uh, oh, Julius Randall. Oh, Julius Randall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on because I think he's sort of, I think, you know, I think we've sort of given him enough time to really come to his own and he hasn't. So I think he might be on the trading block, but, um, yeah, there's no, I mean, you know, like, you know, D'Angelo Russell, I mean, you know, Derek, Derek, Rose, Derek Rose is still with him, isn't he? Derek Rose there, but he's now like, you know, I mean, he had a great season last season, but he's also yeah, multiple knee surgeries and has been in the league a long time and beat up. I, uh, I saw that, um, I don't know if it's on Hulu or Netflix, but there's a big Jeremy Lin documentary that I'm going to have to check I've out. Heard, I heard and Ronnie Chang actually is in it. Oh, well, you know that, um, when I was there, he he was with the Knicks, and gosh, for uh, two years there, he just ruled New York City. He was one of the biggest stars in the town. It's it's quite extraordinary how that uh, how that fizzled well, out. Yeah, that was that was an amazing. It was actually amazing time um, to be there, um, to be here in New York during that during insanity was pretty insane. Well. It, um, it, and and he 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 created a whole he carved a whole career out of that out well, of those two weeks. It's a great time of year, great time of year to be a sports fan in general. But we've got the NHL and NBA and baseball playoffs, college football, uh, and the best time of year to do comedy. I love shows in the fall. Uh, it, it I it's my favorite time of year to, to to do shows, especially in this part of the world. So you're coming at a great time. Oh, good, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think we're almost at like a hundred tickets um, for next Wednesday, which I assume yeah. is good. I think. Oh, absolutely back. for a Wednesday, and we'll give a big push uh, from this show, and then also uh, pushing you on the socials. And uh, yeah, I really, you know, I, I I had a hunch from your material uh, and 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 my prep here over the last day and a half that I would enjoy speaking to you, and I certainly have. I uh, the way you're handling your career and the good things that are happening to you, happening to you, I really really think uh, you're you're headed for great things. And we can say we knew you way back when. Oh no, that means a lot. I just, <laughs> I, I really just I'm just a comic who just wants to keep uh, just getting better and and uh, and just challenging myself and and that's and the results that come of it are are you know they're great they're amazing but but really like i think the i think the the real reward is to just keep doing it and um for sure and and growing so well all the best to you eric looking forward to seeing you next wednesday and uh thanks again for doing this i appreciate it thanks tom sure, I'll, I'll see you next wednesday take care and there you have it thank you eric Thank you to all of you people who listen to the show faithfully. Make sure you keep spreading the word. Subscribe. Tell a friend. We'll keep bringing you interviews with the top touring comics in America on a weekly basis. Thank you so much to my good friend and producer, Joel Fragmeni. 
who makes this show sound good. I'm, I'm going to be interested on playback. You'll hear um, uh, Eric's phone faded uh, in and out a little bit. I think we can piece it together. And then, just so you know, ladies and gentlemen, when I when I do these interviews remotely, I do um, I'm, I'm I'm running them through a mixer, running them through my phone. I do now. I've learned the hard way. I've had some. I had Mick Foley on last year, and my, and my phone started ringing, and I, I forgot to put it on Do Not Disturb. I've learned, but my wife, my daughter, my son, and my mom. They all have access whether I'm do not disturb or not. So my my wife sent me a, a, a rare mid-afternoon text as I was wrapping up with Eric. So you may hear the ping there. I don't know that Joel's going to be able to edit it out of there. So my apologies. My apologies to you who are really picky about the way their podcast sounds. Anyhow, that's it. Thank you to all of you. Until next time, this is Tom McCarthy for Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle Podcast. Mm-hmm.